Well, very good morning, everyone, and thank you for giving me the privilege to preach to you God's Word. You know, last year, I had a bit of time and decided to try out uh, Disney Plus uh, so that there's some entertainment for Ruth and I after the kids finally went to sleep. And I was actually surprised by the amount of content that this streaming service had. In particular, the Marvel Universe tab had so many shows about superheroes that I never heard about. Clearly, superheroes have great appeal, and there has been demand for more characters with special powers. And I wonder if it's because shows with, superpower, uh, shows with superheroes actually tend to be more thrilling. Or is it because we find comfort in escaping to alternate realities where people have power. Because we often feel powerless, we may be drawn to those who are more powerful. This is perhaps one reason why uh, some people are attracted to religions, because they think that such and such God can give me good health, more money, or even good grades. They worship that particular idol. In contrast, you know, one of the key tenets of the Christian faith is not about God displaying the kind of raw power that attracts people, but it's actually about God humbly taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Although God could and has indeed performed many wonderful miracles, He also acts in a totally unexpected way. God the Son though divine and full of power, actually condescends, comes down to our level. He sets aside His majesty to take on frail humanity. God actually becomes man. If our attention is usually captivated by displays of grandeur and power, then why would God choose to humbly enter our world as a mere man? Why would God, who is all-powerful and free of suffering, willingly relinquish His exalted position to experience our broken life? So this morning, we will learn from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18, five reasons why God became man. In this manner, we will then want to cling to Jesus and experience the glorious life that God has in store for us. So let's open our Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, and commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, indeed, we are just amazed, humbled by your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us in your image, and even when we have rebelled and rejected you, or just not cared about what you have to say, that yet you have pursued us. You have taken the initiative at even such a great cost of taking on humanity coming to this world to show us your truth, to show us the way so that we might have life. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless our time as a church as we sit at your feet, as we open up your word. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would remove sin from our lives, that you remove the scales from our eyes, that you give us the understanding that we need so that your words would speak to us, to guide us, to lead us, to correct us, to encourage us, to build us up for your glory. May we know Jesus more and love him evermore. 
So bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let me begin by reading our scripture text for us, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So from verses 5 to 9, we actually learn that the first reason that God became man is actually to give us hope. One of the things that may have caught your attention in the opening of Hebrews is really the focus on angels. Right, repeatedly in chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2, the author of Hebrews demonstrates that Jesus is far superior to the angels. Now in chapter 2 verse 5, the author also stresses that it's not to angels but to man that God has subjected the world to come. Now this was surprising to the original hearers who had been influenced by extra-biblical teachings concerning the power and influence of angels. To them, and perhaps to many of us, angels just seem like superior beings. Hence, the author of Hebrews reminds us of God's intention for man and angels by quoting Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, uh, King David's outside and he looks up at the night sky and he sees the majesty of God. And then he humbly reflects on man's insignificance. And then he calls to mind the creation account where God crowns man with glory and honor by making man not only in his image, but actually giving man uh, rule and authority over all created things. Thus, although God had made man a little lower or less majestic than angels, 
His intention has always been for men to be in control of everything. Men and not angels were created to enjoy the world and to have dominion over it. But, and this is a really big but, Adam and Eve sinned against God and so forfeited the life that God had given them. By listening to the devil, they were no longer fit to be God's regents and the curse of sin ravaged the world. This is why, verse 8 says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to man. Nature doesn't listen to us. I'm sure all of us wish we had the power to control the weather. When it's hot, we can't make it colder. We can't stop the rain on wet days. Disease doesn't listen to us. We all keep falling ill. I've personally lost count on the number of illnesses that my kids have had this year. Our pets and even our children disobey us at times. We do not always get what we want. We may not get that dream job that we desire or the lifestyle that we covet. We may not get the love and the acceptance that we so long for. Clearly, not everything is in subjection to us. And this is a real point of stress and cause for depression. We're frustrated with life, disappointed. Things have not gone according to plan. We are hurt by missed expectations. Are you vexed over your lack of control over this present situation? Are you in despair over the challenges that you are presently facing? The comforting news is that God has actually not left us without hope. In verse 9, the author of Hebrews actually points us to God, the Son, who becomes man. He says in verse 9, But we see Him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. Jesus humbled Himself by condescending to a level lower than even the angels who are serving him in heaven. He took on humanity so that he could actually succeed where we have failed. Whereas Adam and Eve gave in to the devil's temptation and they lost control of what God had given them, Jesus disarms the devil. He defeats the devil at the cross. And in this manner, Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. And this is good news for us because it tells us that there can actually be a happy ending after all. We don't need fairy tales to help us make believe a happy ending. In Jesus, we can have a real happy ending. You see, by Jesus coming into our world as a fellow human, He could fulfill God's expectations on our behalf. He could resist the devil's temptation that so easily ensnares us. He could suffer death and yet not be crushed. He could taste death for us and yet not perish. And so by succeeding where we have failed and by suffering death on our behalf, God crowns Jesus with glory and honor. This means that through Jesus, we can experience an alternate ending to our sorry fate. We don't have to endure the brokenness of this world and all its sufferings forever. 
We don't have to live with the bitterness that we never got what we wanted or thought we were destined to have. We don't need to sink into depression over our failures. Rather, we can experience new life through Jesus. We can experience real and lasting glory and honour through Jesus. So amidst the frustration that you may be experiencing as you see things just go terribly wrong in your life, look to Jesus for hope. Meditate on this beautiful truth that Jesus has succeeded where we have failed. He has already been crowned with glory and honour, and we too can enjoy it. Now, one might wonder if we are being a little presumptuous here. I mean, clearly, Jesus deserves glory and honour. But who are we to expect Jesus to share his glory and honour with us? Well, in verses 10 to 13, we learn that the second reason God became man is actually to call us to share in his glory. So let me read for us verses 10 to 13. So for it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make Jesus the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, that is Jesus, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call us brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in God. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So it isn't presumptuous to want to share in Jesus' glory because verse 10 tells us it's actually God's desire to bring many sons to glory. But the challenge in bringing this plan to fruition actually has been our tendency to sin. Because we, like Adam and Eve, have chosen time and again to reject God's authority and rebel against His revealed will, it is impossible then to share in the glory of a holy God. But God is faithful to His promises. He is merciful when we are undeserving although we have actually forfeited our place in his kingdom through our sins, God lovingly sends us a savior. God the Son became man so that he could suffer in our place and qualify to be the founder of our salvation. And this is what the author of Hebrews is communicating to us in verse 10. Because Jesus has no need to be made perfect in the sense that he is lacking something, but rather he's actually proving himself to be perfect so that he can secure salvation for us. He suffered so that we don't have to suffer the punishment that we deserve. Now, a big mystery that King David had early expressed in Psalm 8 is, who is man that God would be mindful of him? Why would a great God who has everything suffer for his creation? But the author of Hebrews answers this in verses 11 to 13. Although God did make man a little lower than the angels for a period, he had chosen man and not angels to be his children. And so man is not just one of God's many creations, 
but God had actually intentionally created man, created us to be his beloved children. And because Jesus seeks to please God, and he knows that pleasing God involves bringing many sons to glory, Jesus actually willingly becomes man and endures suffering so that he can save many. He joyfully sanctifies all who believe in him, and he is then not ashamed to call them his brothers. To prove his point, the author of Hebrews then references two Old Testament texts in verses 12 to 13. So the first is from Psalm 22, which was read to us before uh, the sermon. This psalm begins in agony, but then it ends with God's deliverance and the psalmist's praise. So the author of Hebrews now applies Psalm 22 to Jesus, depicting him as praising God after his deliverance. If you wanted a picture, it's like Jesus is the worship leader who is now leading the congregation in singing praises to God. The second reference is from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 17 to 18. And here the author of Hebrews applies the words of Isaiah to Jesus. In the same way that Isaiah viewed Israel as children and sought to be leading them towards God, so Jesus views us as God's children, and he's the one who is exhorting us to follow him in trusting God. And so what we see is that even to Jesus, we are not just a creation of God, but we are God's crowning creation. We are the ones whom God has called to share in his glory. We are his children. We are Jesus' brothers. This is why Jesus willingly became man. He came to call us to come and to share in his glory. He came so that we may be his brothers, his siblings. So friends, do you recognize this immense privilege that we have in Jesus? You don't need to risk life and limb to shoot a TikTok video that will garner attention. You don't need to compromise your morals or suffer abuse just to gain love and acceptance. You are precious to God, and He has sent Jesus to make you His child. And He invites you to come and to share in Christ's glory today. For those of us who have been Christians for a while, do we rejoice that we actually have the best and most perfect brother in the universe? Or do you neglect Christ at times and maybe even feel ashamed that you are a Christian when you are hanging out with certain people or working with others? Jesus is. He's not ashamed to call you his sibling. So may we never be ashamed of him but joyfully live boldly for him. The third reason that God became man is to free us from lifelong bondage. Let's read verses 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Well, on the surface, most people look like they are living a good life. 
especially if they have earned respect and satisfaction from being successful at work, they're enjoying a certain lifestyle, and perhaps even have a nice, loving family. But the Bible tells us that those who are not in Christ are actually not doing as good as they may communicate. The sad truth is that since the fall of Adam and Eve, every human is born in slavery. Every human is fearful of death. This is because death has this power to end dreams suddenly. Death has the power to snatch our loved ones away from our arms. Death has the power to negate all that we have done. Death has the power to keep us from enjoying what we may have built. Sagrada Familia is one of the most fascinating church buildings in the world. Uh, it was designed by this famous architect, Antoni Gaudi. However, this architect actually never lived to see his own masterpiece completed. You know, most frustrating of all is that there is no way for us to escape death. Every human is subject to death, no matter how rich or how powerful or how healthy we may be, we will all die. This is why the number one factor that people fear most is death. Even my six-year-old repeatedly expresses his fear of death to me. And we talk about traveling overseas. He will ask me, how safe is the country? Do they have earthquakes? Any volcanoes? And then when I recently asked him, how's uh, swimming PE going on in school? He tells me how apprehensive he is, how terrified he is of drowning. Should we be surprised that even a young child recognizes death as something terrible? Probably not. Death torments the entire human race because the devil is the one wielding it. The devil has been at enmity with God and he is out to destroy God's creation. In particular, the devil loves to attack man because he knows man is precious to God. Thankfully, God's love for us is so great that he has not abandoned us to the whims of the devil, but he has sent his beloved son Jesus to come and to destroy the devil and to deliver us from lifelong slavery. But because Jesus is divine, we are of the flesh and blood, this rescue operation actually requires our Savior to then be like us. This is why Jesus had to partake of the same things, namely becoming man and experiencing full humanity. By sharing in our humanity, Jesus then could die the death that we deserved. Well, the devil was probably thrilled about this whole idea of God becoming man and dying, right? You know, C.S. Lewis captures this really well in his famous novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've seen the movie, there's this uh, scene where the, the witch triumphantly uh, says to Aslan, just as she's about to, you know, kill Aslan, she says, you are giving me your life and saving no one. Well, for those of us who are unfamiliar with the movie, Aslan's death actually did not result in defeat. Aslan actually rises from the dead and he appears, right, at the right moment to save Narnia. How wrong 
the witch was about Aslan dying and how wrong the devil was about Jesus dying for us. In dying as a man without sin or blemish, Jesus disarms the devil. His perfect sacrifice actually removes the sting of death and he destroys the devil. But Jesus proved that death actually has no hold over him. Though he, di- though he died, he was actually able to rise again. And if Jesus has actually broken the devil's secret weapon, then what does it tell us? It declares the devil has lost. The devil actually has no hold over us. This is why verse 15 says that Jesus' triumph over the devil guarantees our deliverance from lifelong slavery. If we believe in Jesus and we share in his death and resurrection, then we should have no more fear of death. Death did not harm our master, and it shall not harm us either. As Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live again. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live again. And this is indeed a great verse for us to memorize and one that I often use to comfort my son. Friends, death is a terrible enemy and understandably it terrifies us all. We might not show it to others. We may even avoid trying to talk about death or just busying ourselves with work or indulging ourselves with travels and special experiences. But we really don't have to live in fear of death anymore. We can assure our loved ones that if we turn to Jesus today, we can be liberated from lifelong slavery. We can be liberated from lifelong fear of death. We can share in Jesus' resurrection so that death will lose its sting. And though we will one day die as all humans will, we will be raised to new life. Death will have no hold over us. Like Jesus, we will rise victoriously to live with God for eternity. John Calvin therefore exhorts us, although we must still meet death, let us nevertheless be calm and serene in living and dying when we have Christ going before us. Friends, I encourage you to honestly consider your view of death and how it has been influencing your decisions and shaping your life. May the good news of Jesus free you from this fear of dying and enable you to joyfully respond to God's call. The fourth reason that God became man is to make propitiation for sins. Let's read verses 16 to 17. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I didn't choose intentionally to use a big and difficult word like propitiation, but it's right there in our text. It's something that we don't use often, but it's actually a really important word that the Bible uses to help us understand 
the need to appease or to turn away God's wrath against sin. Some teachers and scholars actually have sought to replace this word propitiation because they are not comfortable with this idea that our sins incur God's wrath. But that's the truth, and that's what God wants us to know. God is holy. Sin incurs His wrath. To say that sin does not make God angry is actually to redefine God's self-disclosure of being a holy God. God is holy, and hence, He cannot tolerate sin. And so by logic, sin ought to incur the wrath of a holy God. The big question is how can a holy God's wrath be appeased? How can we turn away His anger? When we anger someone, we usually try to make it up by maybe buying them something, doing an act of service, or just saying sorry. If we have a dear friend who is hangry, we feed them. But none of them works with God. Giving him a Tesla, saying the Lord's Prayer a hundred times, or volunteering to serve in the nursery for a whole year is not going to appease God's wrath. Instead, God reveals to us that only the right sacrifice can turn away His wrath. But the Old Testament shows us that our world is actually not in possession of the right sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats were not able to appease or to satisfy God's wrath permanently. Amazingly, God Himself is actually the one who supplies the much-needed sacrifice by sending His beloved Son into our world. Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that they, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It is because God became man in every respect that he could bear our sins on his body and he alone was able to appease God's wrath and make propitiation for our sins. This is the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. We who deserve to be punished for our sins can experience grace. Because Jesus has atoned for our sins, we can receive forgiveness and be reconciled to God. This truth should lead us to have great gratitude as well as a desire to live for Jesus. Because we were ransomed from sin, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, let us then conduct ourselves rightly before God, desiring to live holy lives for His glory. May Jesus' atonement for our sins also enable us to be more forgiving towards one another. Sometimes the people that we find it hardest to forgive are our fellow believers. Because the offending party is a Christian, we're even more offended by their wrongdoing. We find it even harder to let a Christian off the hook. But here, we're reminded of the truth that Jesus has made propitiation for the sins of God's people. God never makes light of sin. He's not asking us to overlook justice. Instead, God is actually telling us to accept Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus 
took the place of Christians who have wronged us, and he has suffered the punishment that his people deserve. So may we accept the recompense that Christ has made for the sins of God's people and forgive the repentant as God in Christ has forgiven us. The fifth reason that God became man is to help us when we are tempted. Let's read verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Have you ever felt that no one can understand what you're going through? Felt that people who are trying to help really can't because they have not been in your shoes? But the good news is there is someone who can truly empathize with us. Verse 17 says that Jesus was made like us in every respect. And verse 18 says that because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. While some might try to discount Jesus' empathy by saying that, hey, you know, Jesus was never a sinner like us. The opposite, the opposite is actually the case. It's because Jesus is without sin that he's actually able to empathize better with us in temptation. Jesus actually experienced more temptation than us because he resisted beyond the point that we have all caved in. B.F. Westcott, a 19th century English theologian, says, Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. He who falls yields before the last strain. So whilst we may have experienced temptation, maybe up to level 10 or even 20, Jesus has experienced temptation beyond level 100. And so we are incredibly blessed to have a Savior who understands exactly what we are going through. Jesus was made like us in every respect. Although He is our God, He is also fully human. He Himself has experienced the full brokenness of this world, the frustrations that we face, and the temptations that we endure for seeking to be a faithful Christian. Jesus experienced poverty, he wasn't born in Mount Elizabeth Hospital, but in a stable. He experienced the threat of death with Herod raging like a madman. He had no permanent home. While foxes have holes and Singaporeans have HDBs, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus experienced singleness. He experienced rejection by his own people, betrayal from his disciple. He experienced abandonment from those who claimed to love him. He faced the temptation to just forget God and take matters into his own hands. He experienced great suffering emotionally, physically, spiritually. He endured being forsaken by his own heavenly father when he was in agony. And he ate experienced death, death on a cross. So friends, is it really accurate to say 
that there's no one who understands what we're going through. God in His grace became man so that He can experience our suffering and help us. Because He has walked in our shoes, He can be a merciful and faithful high priest who can forgive sin and help us when we are tempted to give up our faith. So let us not despair when we are going through great trials, and let us not discount the help that we have in Jesus. He stands ready to save us from sin and to deliver us from temptation. Jesus is merciful and faithful to help us to endure the race that is set before us. And this truth that Jesus is able to help us is not just applicable personally, but as a church. You know, oftentimes we may be hesitant to help others because we think that maybe we are under, underqualified or we lack the experience or expertise. But the truth is, Jesus is the one who does the ministering. All we have to do is actually to be present and to be a faithful vessel for Jesus to use. He will do the work. His words and His presence will give people hope, comfort, and guidance. And this is really my testimony too as a pastor. I don't claim to have the experience and the expertise to help you, but I do know the one who can. I have the words of Jesus, and I can minister to you because Jesus has given us his truths. Jesus assures us that he is with us, he is amongst us. This is why we can build one another up. This is why we can care for one another. So the next time that you sense God encouraging you to minister to someone, don't shy away from it. Don't escape from level three. Look to Jesus for strength and empowerment. Know that you have the words and the presence of a merciful and faithful high priest who has been made like us in every respect. Jesus will do the saving. He will do the delivering. And if you are waiting for maybe someone to come and approach you in the hour of need, consider Jesus' example of taking the initiative. You know, he could have left his door wide open and just waited for one of us to go to him and knock. But he is the one who comes even before we ask. You know, most of us will not go to Jesus on our own. We are either too proud to ask for help or ignorant. But God is gracious. He comes to us. He knows the struggles that we are going through, the suffering that we are enduring because of sin. So let us model Jesus' example of taking the initiative to help others. Let us be intentional about finding out how our CG members are doing and pay close attention to what people are saying or not saying. If you send someone struggling, act on the Spirit's prompting to reach out. Move towards them because you love God. Help others because God has helped you. Be a blessing to others because God is also building you up as you serve the body of Christ. Friends, 
Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18 is really rich and an encouraging text that we can use to find comfort, hope, and strength to trudge on through our daily struggles. Our great God, for whom and by whom all things exist, became man for our sake. God the Son left paradise to enter our broken world. Though being divine and full of majesty, He emptied Himself by taking on frail humanity. All because of His love for you and for me. He became man to give us hope, to call us to share in His glory, to free us from lifelong bondage, to make propitiation for our sins and to help us when we are tempted. So let us then respond by rejoicing at how gracious our God is to remove all barriers and come to us in our greatest hour of need. Let us find our hope in Jesus and believe in Him for the forgiveness of sin. Let us cling firmly to Him amidst trials and resolve to live for Him amidst temptation. And finally, let us yearn for that day when He shall return and we will live with Him for eternity. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you so much for the book of Hebrews, in particular Hebrews chapter 2, that is just so rich and encouraging. We're so humble, Lord, as we consider who are we that you would care for us and love us so much and be willing to give so much of yourself. And so, Father, I pray that you'll touch every heart this morning, that we will respond to you as you desire, that in humility we will come before you and seek to live as your beloved children, that we'll cling to you all through life, that we will worship you with our bodies, that we will be living sacrifices, and that we will begin to display the love that we have received from you to one another in this church, all for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.